Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to The Sweet Spot, where IT leaders bring insights to other IT leaders and others that want to be leaders. My name is Carlos Vargas, and I'm your host, and I have here my two co-hosts, Paul Lewis and Howard Holton. Hey, guys. Hey there. How's it going? Hey, everybody. So, my friends, it's been an interesting week. And what is our topic for this week? Because I know that there's a lot of things shifting, a lot of things changing. We're learning to survive a little bit. After all this, we have learned how to do a little bit more online presence and companies are changing. So what is our topic for today? So since we had our original leading IT during a pandemic, which which went to uh, practical IT during a pandemic, which then led to leading business in pandemic. I've had lots of additional conversations with CIOs and CTOs and VPs of applications. Um, and what the conversation has been is one of those key phrases we kept using, which was, we think that January 2021 will look more like June than it would look like January 2020. So the conversation's been leading after the pandemic. What are, what have, what are they going to learn from what's happened now uh, to figure out how they need to, learn, to lead sort of going forward? And which brings me to an interesting series of YouTube videos I've been watching recently, <laughs> which is uh, all on uh, the survivorship bias, right? And to put it another way, it's just the, the winners writing the history books, right? Essentially saying that, um, I'm going to evaluate my future success so I can determine what's successful based on just looking at the successful people, which is interesting, but not as valuable as looking, in fact, at as failure, as the mediocre, and as the successes. Because if you just look at the success, the potential is that you're just looking at the winners, and even worse, that you're just looking at the super successful, you know, the five billionaires or multi-billionaires in the world what are the top 10 things did they do? And if I just did those top 10 things, they become, you know, what I need to do to become a billionaire, which isn't necessarily true since, uh, you know, 7.2 billion people in the earth um, are in fact, you know, thousand errors, hundred errors, zero errors, right? So given, given that amount of failure, I'm not sure just looking at the super successes is valuable. Um, and it, plays a part in a lot of interesting examples, right? You take a look at log cabins as a great example. So you, you know, you, you go on your Sunday drive, you see amazing log cabins and you think to yourself, wow, they really built them well way back when they've, you know, they lasted hundreds of years. How is that possible? It was, you know, just mud and, and, and trees to make that happen. And what you fail to remember is that 99% of those log cabins fell down during the first winter. They were made poorly. They were hard to do. You didn't have enough people to actually put those together. And it's only the strong that survived. So you're only, only looking at the survivors. And if you're just looking at heritage buildings, right? You, you walk around a city instead of the country and you're seeing three or four heritage buildings, you're saying to yourself, oh, they built them really well back then. When in fact, you're forgetting about a city that looked like all heritage buildings that have fallen down to which have been replaced with newer buildings, right? Or, so, or been torn down. Right. Or exactly. And you've never taken into consideration the fact that a heritage building requires an immense amount of work to maintain. <laughs> right. right. Best case scenario, they had electrical. 
Best case scenario, that electrical is a, is a modern fire hazard, right? Best case scenario, they had indoor plumbing made of lead. Best case right. scenario, they were painted with lead. Right? <laughs> um, best case scenario, they're, they're essentially Faraday cage, cages that you can't get wire Wi-Fi through, right? They're, they're basically useless buildings that are gorgeous that you don't take into consideration how much upkeep was necessary, how much extra effort was necessary to keep that thing propped up and looking the way that it does, right? How many millions of dollars have been poured into giving you the facade of permanence, right? It's and the, the same, the same is true with like actors and athletes, right? You're, you're constantly evaluating the people in the NHL and the NBA and at the Olympics saying, wow, what did they do? Like, what did it take to get there? Is, is it just hard work? Is it the, you know, the, the million hours worth of effort they're putting in place when you need to realize that it's quite possible. In fact, it's likely true that there are far better athletes that have not made it to the NBA that have not been in the Olympics because there's been a series of other things that have made that true. Maybe they found an amazing coach or maybe they were in the right place at the right time or just simple luck, right? All of these things tragedy that occurred. Exactly. They right. all have the exact same impact to whether you're going to get to the end or not. So uh, it, it's this bias that makes us think, especially in the IT world, um, what do we have to do? What do? How do we have to evaluate our current success or failure and see how we might change sort of going forward? So how do you apply that to the IT world? I would so say that it extends hugely in there, right? Because... Um, all of that is individualized, right? How do I look at Brad Pitt and become the next Brad Pitt? The answer is you don't. How do I look at, at Michael Jordan and become the next Michael Jordan? How do I look at, you know, whoever, right? Athlete, actor, musician, superstar, whatever, and, and do that. The answer is you don't. There is not a next PewDiePie space waiting for you. <laughs> to use whatever example you want. But the same is true in business. Right? You can't look at Amazon and say, how do I become the next Amazon? You become the next Amazon by going back in time and becoming Amazon. Right. Right? You can't look at how did the survivor occur, which by the way, survivorship bias is the worst form of confirmation bias. Right? Confirmation bias is, is my experience is X, therefore X is true right. and Y is false. Right? Survivorship bias is the absolute worst form of that right? Be especially in the modern world where there are millions of successful businesses and there will continue to be millions of successful businesses to look at the superstars and say, that's the model moving forward uh, is crazy. That was the model that worked for that particular company at that particular time that allowed them to survive where others did not. It is not by far not the only model and it's entirely probable. It's not the best model just in general, and it's almost guaranteed it is not the best model for you. Right. Right. Amazon being the, the worst possible example of what you should do and being the best possible example of survivorship bias because Amazon has spent 20 years, literally, I think they're in their 20th year, right? Um, perfecting two things uh, that everyone really should focus on, but as it has taken Amazon 20 years of maturity to get to where they are, right? They are the best supply chain logistics company in the world. Uh, we, we could argue it, but for in, all intents and purposes, right? And the best technology company in the world. And they've adopted the, 
the kind of agile lessons of technology throughout the entire business. I always say it took them 90 days to go from idea to delivery on Prime. Someone thought up Prime in a meeting, 90 days later they had Prime on the website, people signed up, products, shipping with Prime. Right. Uh, nobody else could do that. Yep. Right, yep. And, and so to think that they're the model that you need going forward, uh, uh, maybe if you're a logistics company, I mean, there are lessons to be learned there for sure, but they're not the model. How many, how many billions of dollars in cash were they sitting on when this whole thing started? How overcapitalized were they? How overcapitalized is Apple? Right. right? How overcapitalized is, is Microsoft? Do you have the ability to sit on 60 billion in cash waiting for things like this to occur? If you do, great, but we're, you're probably not in the intended audience because you probably are a survivor helping to write the history books. And we can tell in real time because um, these technology companies just released their financials, right? So Microsoft just today uh, made as much money as they expected to make. They lost no ground in any one of their product sets uh, because that's how they deliver their services. You know, as in the cloud or in the GitHub, Azure, uh, Office productivity all made the amount of money they expected to make. Apple, not as well as they expected, but certainly still profitable, certainly earning enough revenue, um, certainly will survive going forward. So it's, they're, they're clearly you know, winners in the situation, which brings us to this uh, sort of post-pandemic perspective we're having here. If you look at the current state of, of these industries, right? And say there are some winners, there's some survivors, there are people who are thriving, right? There are organizations that are struggling um, and their organizations are in the middle. We described it kind of in those three categories. Of the thrivers, these are the video conferences, right? These are the uh, delivery, uh, at-home delivery type markets. Um, in the uh, uh, trying to, on the struggling side, it's uh, theme parks. It's, you know, audience-centric group activities like stadiums and movie theaters. And then the ones in the middle where they've had to shift relatively dramatically from just purchasing products in stores to be able to purchase products and deliver them to homes, right? A pretty massive shift in, in how CBG needs to work. And then healthcare in its general sense, they've had to have a massive change in the amount of equipment and testing they need to do to, to even survive the amount of flow that's coming to hospitals as an example. So if you look at those three worlds, should I just look on the category to which I sit or should I just, should I look at all categories? If I'm in a thriver category, can I say, I'm awesome, I will succeed, I will succeed in the future. Or if I look at it as a struggler, um, did I make a poor IT decision or a poor business decision? That's, where, where do you have to look? Well, well I, I think that's a really interesting question, right? Um, look, look to medical. One would think medical is on the upswing with the number of people increased having to, to take medical care. However, we shut down everything that's not that we can that was considered non-essential. So hospitals are struggling for funds right now. They're not cash rich. They're cash poor. They're actually in very much in the struggling category. Not only did the load increase on emergency services to a level they couldn't sustain, right? The need for ventilators, the need for masks, the supply chain issues that they're having, but also the high revenue jobs tasks that they did. They're flat out not able to do. Mm. Right? Um, and then even in the struggling category, right? Um, theme parks. Yes, theme parks will look different moving forward 
for at least some period of time, right? There will be a ramp up, let's say, at the very least. Right. But there are, there are other things like movie theaters that are changing completely because now the studios have got a taste of direct distribution, cutting out the middleman, which was the theater. Some of them refuse to go back. And now there's AMC is warring with Universal as an example, because Universal is now saying they're gonna continue down this direct to market path. And AMC then says, well, in that case, we're not gonna carry your films anymore. Right. Right. Um, and so what does it look like for, for some of these companies moving forward that, that have a permanent delivery methodology that has changed? Right? How, do, how are they gonna struggle? And if you fit into that category, even if you don't, right? You need to start looking at these things and going, what are the lessons I can take from all of it to learn? How do I, how do I adopt things from those that failed? Because in reality, we don't learn from success. We learn from failure, right? right? Every success is found from the thousand steps of failure that led us to that success. And so we really should be looking at where were the missteps that caused failure, not where was the luck that found success? Where was the, the two decades in Amazon's case, right? The yeah. two decades of right place, right time, right capitalization, right effort. Lots of effort, but also lots of luck. Yeah, it's a weird assumption when you look at, you know, Zoom and say, aren't they, they're blowing up. They're much more successful now than they were six weeks ago, as if that was their business plan, right? As if all along, they knew that this was going to occur, and therefore they prepared for that eventuality, that the, right. the video conferencing was going to be the thing I would need to do, which clearly isn't true, right? So you can't possibly look to them and say they're the shining light in the hill here. Uh, that's a particular point that you talk about Zoom, yeah. because they had to do some shifts to be able to accommodate and not just keep and think, well, we have a product that we consider superior, so we will succeed. How will they, we then, for other companies, do we deal with that? So uh, I actually think that's the question. The question for Zoom is what is the takeaway? Okay, so fine. So you identify Zoom is the company that's the most successful. Therefore, they're who I most want to be like. In what way do you want to be like Zoom? You want to have the revenue? Okay, cool. Great. You might as well wish in one hand and and spit in the other and see which one fills up first, right? Like you can't just wish for revenue. What's your plan to get there? What did Zoom do that was right that enabled it that WebEx did not do? Because there's a clear difference, right? 10 years ago, WebEx was definitely the leader in conferencing, right? If you didn't use WebEx, everybody went, oh man, I gotta get on a insert name of failed you know, company here. Five years ago, Zoom kind of came on the market. But, but if, we, if we look at Zoom, what did they do? They did one thing right and only one thing. Uh, I guess you could say two. One, they, they extended their free tier, which really was about marketing because they I don't think they changed the features of the free tier. Right. And then two, they had built using agile process and DevOps that allowed them to scale in the cloud for increased ca capacity and capability. Those are the two things that everyone probably could do, right? How do I get my... How do I take advantage of market conditions to get my, my product in the most hands the fastest? And then how do I design my products so that I can be agile enough to change with changing market demands? Right. Like outside of that, I don't know what you could do to say, to say I'm gonna follow in Zoom's footsteps. Um, they certainly have done a really terrible job when it comes to security, Re really bad. I think, I think Zoom is much more likely to become um, TiVo 
than it is to become the DVR, right? I, I think what's going to happen is, is we're all going to call all of these things Zoom. It's going to be the Kleenex of video conferencing, but they'll get taken over by more commodity deployments of this kind of technology, right? It'll be incorporated in other tool sets. It'll just be part and parcel of the operating system, right? It'll be part and parcel of the things you don't do every day instead of being this separate thing. Right? It'll become a DVR. It'll become part of your home entertainment system, not a separate thing to which you sign up. So they've got to think about going forward, how they're evolving to be more than just video conferencing. And I don't know what the the connection point is there either. Right. Right. Um, I, I actually, I think discord is a, is a, is a better technology all in all, mm -hmm. right. It's the combination of Slack and zoom together in one package. Um, I, I like their model. I like their, their system. Um, you know, and, and I think if discord stepped up with some enterprise features, the way, the way zoom kind of does, uh, I think that would be a, a, a winning combination. But I don't know how Zoom continues to evolve to become something bigger than they are now. And what's Zoom going to be like in two years? Right. Because there's going to be compression, right? There's going to be shrinkage and the shrinkage is going to be huge. And they have Microsoft sitting right there, right? Microsoft has been adding features right behind Zoom. Right. Um, and during the pandemic, they started clearing their backlog. Like, like it was like all of a sudden Microsoft said, Features, features, features. Everything that's been backlogged, just take a bunch of developers and kill it, knock right. it out, because we want to stay um, as close to parity with Zoom as we can. We can't allow market recession. And Microsoft has, I don't know, 70 billion in the bank or something. Right. Um, they, can, they can throw a nearly infinite amount of money at, at the problem. Right. So I think that looking at that, if we think, like you mentioned, Zoom was looking at different options, Microsoft look at how to get their customers happy. What do we do with those customers that are unhappy? I mean, I don't, I don't mean to be flippant about it, but, but the fact of the matter is um, concentrating on unhappy customers, while it should be an exercise, it shouldn't be the focus. Right. Target focus is, is something we talked about. Pre, we talked about previously um, and target focus is effectively something they teach you in in uh, motorcycle riding, in in high performance car driving, um, in a bunch of other things. Right. They teach airline. They teach fighter pilots. And, and what it says is focus on where you want to go, not what you want to avoid. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, if I'm coming up to a complicated corner and there's a boulder in the road, I concentrate on the piece of the road my vehicle can fit through because that's where I'm gonna go. My reflexes, my muscles, my brain is gonna say, this is the path we've chosen, this is the path we're going to take. If instead I look at the boulder and go, don't hit the, don't hit the, don't hit the crunch, mm -hmm. right? And so you need to do the same thing, right? Pick out those, the, the path you need to take and focus on the path you need to take. Look at the mistakes, right? Look at your lost customers. Why did the customer leave? How do I avoid adding to that list? I avoid adding to that list by focusing on fixing the things that I need to fix by focusing on the things that I do well. And oftentimes focusing on the things that you do well is all that you need to do. Since I'm a Canadian, since I'm Canadian, I always have to bring up the famous well, uh, Wayne Gretzky quote, right? You've got to skate to where the puck will be, right? So <laughs> it would not be a complete conversation if I didn't bring it up. So let's, let's bring it to practical IT, right? Let's bring it to practical IT. 
and we can think of it in terms of operating IT and even selling IT to each one of these statements. And I'd love to hear sort of your thoughts on each one of these statements. So the first one, uh, my product is better than their product, so I'll succeed. What do you think about that? Um, TiVo is long gone, hmm. right? Uh, there are there have been a nearly infinite number. Of, um, what was that car? They made a movie about it. Had all kinds of advanced features. Tucker. The Tucker was arguably a far superior product, hmm. right? It had um, headlights that were tied to the steering wheel so that the headlights pointed around the corner as you went around the corner. Like there were 40 things that Tucker did that nobody else did, right? There are an infinite number of examples of companies that had the better product that failed. A quick Google search will happily reveal dozens of them to you. <laughs> People Certainly. buy products, they buy companies. And it's only a point in time, right? Yes, today it is true. Your product might in fact be better than another product until that other product creates more features and functions that are better than your product. So now it's constantly this head to head. I'm better, you're better, I'm better, you're better. And the reality is it doesn't really matter in any one point in time except for the people who want to purchase that product right now. Uh, what does matter to a person who's buying those products is sort of thematically how you plan on changing this product over time. And does it align to how I plan on using this product over time. The point in time, whether I'm going to purchase and what's better, while interesting and while as a check mark on features and functions, speeds and feeds, is not how things get purchased, nor is it how things maintain a long term partnership relationship. And they don't, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Do I care if you have the best product? No, but I do care that you're the best person for me. You're the right. best company for me, right? Do I care if you have the most IOPS, if you have the most processes, if you have the most cores, if you have the most memory? No, not unless I need the most processors with the most cores that can address the most memory for the most IOPS. That's what right. I need is what can do the job that I need in an ecosystem that ideally does more than just a one trick pony. So how will a technical person or a sales manager or account manager will communicate correctly then to an executive like you, Howard, or like you, Paul, in that case. If they're thinking that their product or service that they have is better than anybody else, what do you recommend for them? So start by selling the why of the company. Hmm. And if you don't know the why of the company, why the product, that's still okay. Why did you decide these features were the most important? This performance was the most important. This revision of CPUs was the most important thing because that's your new feature. Why? What, what engineering decisions, what smart strategic decisions on your part led you to there? Right? That's what you can do in the very short term. All I have to do is look internally to my own company to find those answers. You want to resonate with me as a customer? Talk about how it affects my business, helps it achieve my strategic objectives. And what does that mean? That means, unfortunately, you have to shut up and listen, mm -hmm. right? You have to ask the question, Mr. IT executive, what are your strategic objectives? What are the things that are most important for you in the next 12 months for your company? What is most important for you as an individual to excel at in the next 12 months? How important is the thing we're talking about to you achieving those objectives. 
Is it strategic or is it a rip and replace? Is it a simple upgrade? Is it business as usual? And this is just the, the time frame during, the, during which this thing will be done. Those are the important questions. How do I help you achieve your strategic objectives, the things that are important to you? I always say, the job of a third party is to find out what keeps you up late at night and then to reassure you that you don't have to stay up late at night anymore. I've got this. Yep. I readily admit, I'm sure um, Howard will also admit that many, many times, in fact, probably more often than not, I bought an inferior product. If I were to line up the speeds and feeds, if I were to do the check marks and X's, I've many, many times bought the inferior product because it didn't matter, or at least it didn't matter enough. What mattered is it met the table stakes. Did it do the 10 things I needed even though it does 100 things? Yes, great. Then you've already met that check mark for me. In addition, um, and we've used this word many, many times, and I'll use it again today, capabilities, right? If or what you're offering me, an ability to upskill, reskill my team, give them a capability they don't have for the long term. And then great, I'm gonna sign up for that because the feature and function doesn't matter if none of my team can do it, if none of my team can control it, if none of my team can maintain it, operate it, upgrade it, then, then it's a meaningless piece of technology. Uh, I have bought non-open source commercial products that were inferior to its open source equivalent just because I knew that at 3 a.m. they would be answering the call, just because I knew that if I needed training and support and management, they would be there and to encourage me and give me the advice I need to actually grow and maintain. That's kind of the difference between those two. And I almost never bought a, a, a single product from a single company and that's what they made. Right. Right. I bought from a company that had a portfolio. And right. no, every item was not the best thing in that portfolio, but I knew I wasn't adding a phone number, a relationship, support, a support path to my Rolodex, not that we keep Rolodexes, but to my Rolodex for one thing. I, I tried to avoid that like the plague because all that does is add complexity and it adds finger pointing, right? I want a portfolio from a company that's gonna add those capabilities and that's gonna have a long-term relationship. And then frankly, it's easy. now. Now there were exceptions, but it was where the portfolio simply lacked the capability. Right. And then it was short term because every single time that I bought something to fill that gap, that gap was filled by the company in their next revision, mm -hmm. right? Their next life cycle, their next growth, whatever it happened to be. Um, yeah. Buying futures isn't that bad. It all depends on how important that feature is now. And if it can wait, because you think it's going to come later, there's no reason why you can't buy into that future. It's fine. Uh, Howard, have you bought any product that has fulfilled 100% of your requirements today? How, how often is that true? That, that whatever you buy is fulfilling 100% of what you need to, it is the perfect product for you. Um, neither professionally nor personally. <laughs> right, exactly. We're always buying on futures. It simply isn't possible unless I built it myself for it to work exactly the way I need it to work. That's just how that, it works, right? Commercial products. Exactly the way. Like, let's be honest. <laughs> even when you built it yourself, all that that meant was you got the interface you wanted with error messages you still didn't understand. <laughs> right. I was still going to production with a bunch of problems right. that I wasn't going to fix. Right. 
Okay, so number two, because just as important, but it's on the back end instead of the front end. If I focus on my unhappy customers, whether that's internal or external, um, I'll be able to retain them and decrease my churn rate. Or on the other side, I'll be able to retain them and increase my popularity or increase my satisfaction. Your thoughts on that? Um, that is the second worst thing I've heard other than survivorship bias to begin with. <laughs> That's like saying, I'm going to convert everyone, I'm going to post random things to the internet, then everyone that has a negative comment, I'm going to work, I'm going to focus 100% on making them positive, right. so then I can just do what makes people who don't like me like me. Right. Why don't, instead, why don't you figure out why people really like what you're doing, go for your fans, and then see how many more of those fans exist in the market and go after them, because mm -hmm. they're the ones that already like you. <laughs> right. Right? People are going to dislike you for a myriad of reasons. Thousands of people are going to dislike your product because they don't like the faceplate or they don't like the, the color and font choice you made on the GUI, right? They're not going to like your choice of button placement for the user interface. And while it is entirely possible you made bad UX decisions, it's also entirely possible that they're just disagreeable or they're not disagreeable. They just want it done a different way. They don't like your translation of English to French. Right. Don't concentrate on that. Figure out who really likes you, why they really like you, and then figure out how to get more people like that to buy your product. Yeah. It's an infinitely smarter way to go about it. And that's how you find success. It's this whole customer segmentation, right? Don't look at your customers as one big bucket of people. You've got to look at customers that are extremely happy with you, somewhat happy, uh, give or take you, um, and then detest you completely, right? So a lot of categories. And then from those categories, where is, do I want to place my biggest bet? Do I want to grow the bucket of people who love me or grow the bucket of the small portion of people who hate me, right? Where do I want to spend my time and energy? Yeah, a, a mentor of mine um, years ago said something that stuck with me. Um, she said, I have no interest in employees. Mm. I don't want satisfied employees. She said, I want raving fans. Mm. Raving fans will recruit other people for you. Right. Right. So in your example, I would go after the first two buckets. I would go after the, the people who absolutely love me and the people who like me. How do I move more of the people who like me to the love me column? And how do I get more of the people who love me? Right? Right. Because everybody else is always going to be a struggle. And I don't want to lose those first two buckets at all. Number three, what the pandemic has taught us is that we have to prepare for anything. So what I should spend all of my time on is to look at all the potential problems that could ever occur in IT and ensure I have the appropriate resiliency in place to make sure I can, at the very moment, change the way I operate my infrastructure. Your thoughts on that? These Prepare. just get better and better. <laughs> right? If, if Amazon had done that, the, the company that we could probably say is the big winner, if Amazon had done that, they would not have any cash reserves at all. They would have gone out of business long, long time ago. Right. You need to figure out how do I, how do I create an agility within my organization that allows me to pivot when the market changes, not how do I consider every possible thing that could happen and have a plan for it? Because you will fail. There is no way to do that. It is not possible. No one would have said everything will be shut down. Right. 
it will force you to uh, create moon bases, right? I'm going to create a moon base because I know at some point in the future, a meteor is going to strike down the earth and take a third of it away. And therefore, all of my money will be to ensure that I have the resiliency of another planet <laughs> to ensure that I can take over immediately. And not only am I going to put technology there, I'm going to house a whole staff just to make sure that in that circumstance, they're picking it right up. And let's be honest, right? If if unemployment continues and and does not we don't we it does not recede, right? If it continues at the rate that it is currently at, Amazon won't be safe either, because Amazon's whole market is based on collecting as much of the extra money you have to spend on non-essentials every month as possible. Yes, granted, they absolutely do get people who order um, food products and dog food and 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 toilet paper and that sort of thing from them. But the reality is they're not the place people go to first for that, for the most part. Right. right. And so if it gets to the point where we're in a massive depression, beyond recession, we're in a massive depression, then Amazon is going to no longer be a survivor more than likely. Now, they're very agile. They'll probably pivot. I'm sure they'll end up buying a whole bunch of you know shops that make a lot more sense. But ultimately, you have to do what you can do within the context of your business, your market, your company. You cannot take, you cannot consider everything. So those are my examples. Carlos, do you have any uh, <laughs> closing thoughts? You know, it's very interesting to see how big companies and small companies all struggle through this. And looking at the topic today, how to you lead after all this is very important. So all our listeners, this was a very important episode because looking at that from a sales side or from a leadership side, after a difficult situation, you have to, like Howard mentioned, not only look at the big success, but look at what didn't work. Uh, and from a summary standpoint, and correct me if I'm wrong, Howard, looking at both is what's going to make a company successful. Because when you look at that, then you can say, well, for us, the example from company A, it's like, if I'm a sports, uh, somebody that likes basketball, I may need to put more effort like X, Y, or C athlete. Or if I, I, I sell products, I may need to take the route that XYZ company took, but also learn from the mistakes that some of the other ones did. And that's very important that I haven't heard a lot of leaders talking about the mistakes. They're talking about looking at those good examples that you can learn from, but also looking at those failures. And I think that that's what uh, one of my mentors wrote a book saying, failing forward. Looking at that, okay, if you learn to keep moving forward, even though you're failing, you're going to go to the point that you're not failing on the same thing because now you're not going to move forward. You learn from the failure, you perfect it, then you move to something new. Well, you have to fail because you're not going to make it good the first time. Then you go to the next one. So I think that has been an awesome episode. Any closing remarks for you guys? If you have a an executive in front of you and they 
let's say that they're sales executive or they're um, a technical architect or an SC, they say, well, how then should I communicate then to my customers about the value of what I could bring to them? What would that be in this new world? So, so I have a final thought. It's unfortunately not to answer that. It doesn't answer that question. But, but the big takeaway for me is you can see a thing, you can hear a thing, you can learn a thing, but until you experience the thing, you will not understand it. Right? We thought we had good plans for catastrophe. All of us did, right? Sure. But none of us ever thought all of us would be home. All of us worldwide would be in a catastrophe at the same time. Now we've experienced it. Now we actually understand what business continuity means to each of us individually. Now look around, look at your peers, look at your competitors, look at those that have succeeded and those that have failed near to you and distant from you. What are the lessons contained within each one of them? Look at each one of your competitors and pick out one lesson, good or bad, and try to figure out how you can utilize that and turn it into a win for yourself. Agreed. We, we've hit a potential extreme. We've all had plans. What's going to happen if my single data center went out or my single office had a fire? Well, this is much, much worse than that. And we've sometimes succeeded, sometimes didn't succeed, but we can learn a lot from those successes and failures and you've got to evaluate both sides of that equation and even the one in the middle where i've had to change what i've been able to do and been more successful you've got to look at all that now that we've seen the extreme well it's been an awesome episode my friends this is the sweet spot as always make sure that you press the subscribe button on all of our platforms share this video and podcast with your team, your friends, and all the coworkers, so we can continue to grow into the leaders that we're gonna be. Have a good day.